So someone else, we want to introduce you to someone who also does not qualify age-wise, but he's there because he's one of the leaders, and that's Pastor Jeff. And we have the opportunity to hear from him this morning as he teaches God's Word. He, come on up. I'll just keep talking. Um, you might want to hurry. I babysat this guy when he was a baby. Um, he was a cute, cute baby. And now he's a man of God. So prepare your hearts for what God has for you from his word this morning. I've seen lonely times when I could not find a friend. But I always thought that I'd see you again. All right. So uh, who knows that song? All right, I looked up saddest songs ever written, and that was number two on the list. Now, I was nine years from being born when he was performing that song, um, but I thought some of you guys might recognize that. No, I actually recognize the tune. I've seen fire and I've seen rain. And, uh, you know, that's going to come up a little bit later in our morning together, but I wanted to start off with just asking, have you ever tried to get somebody to apologize for something they did wrong? I've got kids. Uh, my name's Jeff Livingston. I'm a pastor here, and I work with the kids over there um, most of the time. And, you know, uh, I've got four of my own, and when, when one of them gets in their mind that they've non done nothing wrong, to get them to realize uh, their error and to simply apologize for it. You guys know where I'm at? It's like, you say sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and mean it. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, that's going to come up a little later, too. And what I want to do is just uh, spend a time in prayer, because we're going to look at some questions that were on um, some people's mind here in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 7. So will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, Lord, and we thank you for this text, God. You've given us your word, Lord. It is sharp, sharper than a double-edged sword. Uh, it can penetrate, Lord. It can expose. It can... Help us see things that we hadn't seen before, Lord, and we know that your desire is to teach, Lord, is to, to illuminate, to help us see who you are and what you're about and who you've called us to be and how you want us to live, Lord, in this, in this day. And so I pray for, I pray for, your, uh, for your way this morning, for your will, for your, for your spirit to speak. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. So I, was, I asked Sam for a bottle of water, and I've left it somewhere. I think it's right there. Andrew's going to bring it to me. Thank you, Andrew. So I want to encourage you to open up your, your Bible or turn on your phones. We're going to Luke chapter 7, and it starts off, verse 18 starts off, Then John's disciples told him about all these things. John's disciples told him about all these things. So if you've had the privilege of being here the last few weeks, you've known that Jesus has been doing some pretty amazing things. He's launched his ministry, he's called some followers, and he's healed some people. In fact, he just got done telling the dead man to sit up, right, last week. And uh, it's when this funeral procession met with these people who were all following Jesus, and there was this, there was this moment, and uh, we see Jesus healing people. And so word gets out, and John's followers go and, and tell John this report. And so John 
summons two of his disciples, and he sent them to the Lord, asking, Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for someone else? When they reached him, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, Are you the one to come, or should we look for someone else? At that time, Jesus healed many people of diseases, plagues, and evil spirits, and he granted sight to many blind people. He replied to them, Go and report to John the things that you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with skin diseases are healed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised. And the poor are told the good news. And anyone who is not offended because of me is blessed. So this morning I want to encourage you as we look at John the Baptist's questions, I want to encourage you to take your questions to Jesus. Now I wonder why is it that John wasn't willing to take his questions to Jesus? I mean... He sent two friends, right? Hey, go find out from Jesus. You know, hey, are you the one or what? Well, the problem is John is stuck in prison at this time. You see that in, in Luke 3. And so John is catching wind. His disciples are reporting. And it's interesting. And he's maybe mulling this over because it says later he gets two of his disciples and he sends them with this question. And this question is repeated twice, pervadum, right here. Are you the one who's to come? Or should we be looking for someone else? So I want to encourage you to take your questions to Jesus. Let's read on. John 7, 18 to 23. Uh, we just read that part. So John has some questions. Now he begins. What did I do? We, all, we read all the way to 23. And... John the baptizer has his questions, and the thing he does next, this is verse 24. So here we are in verse 24, and he starts to interact with the rest of his disciples. These are the disciples that have been gathering around Jesus, but they were baptized under John, so they were John's followers first. After John's messengers left, he began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out to the wilderness to see? A reed swaying in the wind? What then did you go out to see? A, a man dressed in soft robes? Look, those who are splendidly dressed and live in luxury are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I tell you, and far more than a prophet. This is the one it is written about. Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, no one is greater than John. But the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And when all the people, including the tax collectors, heard this, they acknowledged God's way of righteousness, because they had been baptized with John's baptism. But since the Pharisees and the experts in the law had not been baptized by him, they rejected the plan of God for themselves. 
So what we're going to do is pause here, and I'm going to ask you the question, who is John? Who is John the Baptist? When's the last time we heard from John the Baptist in our series on Luke? It was Luke chapter 3. All of a sudden, Luke brings John the Baptist back into our story today. And so we see that John the Baptist in Luke chapter 3 has this beautiful uh, description of his, of, his, of his ministry. And it, it says, as it is written in the words of the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley will be filled and every mountain and hill will be made low. The crooked will become straight. The rough ways smooth, and everyone will see the salvation of God. Here we have Jesus paying John um, a great tribute in, in chapter 7. And it's the idea brought in from Malachi chapter 3 that there is going to be one who comes before the Lord to prepare the way. For the Lord, and this is who John the Baptist is. And if you read that account, there's there's this uh, clear understanding of his role and and who he is and who it is that's going to come after him. Malachi chapter four, verse five through seven, it says, "Look, I'm going to send to you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes." He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, the hearts of the children to their fathers. And so Malachi, a couple places, describes this Elijah figure who's to come and to prepare the way for the Lord. Jesus uses some rhetorical things. What did you come out to see? Did you come to a reed swayed by the wind? You know, and that could mean two things. Maybe it's like, just like you see reeds everywhere. In this land. So, did you just come out to see something ordinary? Or did you come out to see a softy? Someone that's just easily swayed? Kind of a couple interesting uh, images that he uses to draw in his, his audience. He says, No, you've come to see a prophet. And this isn't just any ordinary prophet, this is one that speaks for God. He's delivering God's message, and God's message was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So you've heard, John, you've heard John's message, but then he says, of no, there's, there's nobody born of a woman who's greater than John. And that goes into their minds, like, okay, cool. He's affirming everything that I understood about John the Baptist. And now, says, but the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And so after giving this big tribute, then he kind of, uh, was it, is, it, is it minimizing him? I don't know, is this a slam? Is he trying to... So... He's pointing out the fact that, you know what, everything that John told you and this, this was reminding you of 
was crucial, and, and the figure that John uh, and his, you know, carrying on Elijah, the, the ministry of Elijah, crucial, but what I'm about to do supersedes it by far, and what you need to know is that the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is going to be different, and now you guys are looking at and listening to the right person, in a sense, in affirming that John the Baptist was the Elijah figure coming before the Lord, he's also affirming that he's the Lord. He is the one who is to come. He's the one who's supposed to come. And so we have this question, and it seems to be the one big question of this passage. Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? And here we see Jesus dealing with this question. Now, I want to I wanna just... Uh, Move on. We're going to go to the next section. So what we've seen is he's answering the questions of John, the first, the first section, verses 18 to 23. And now he's, he's answering the questions of these disciples in, in 24 and 30. He's, he's articulating not only a great tribute for John the Baptist, but he's also acknowledging that something better is ahead. The kingdom of God is coming, ushered in by the very Messiah that John was heralding. And now our text, Jesus moves on into an, indict, an indictment against this generation. And it's interesting. So join me, Luke seven thirty one. To what then should I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to each other. We played the flute for you, but you didn't dance. We sang a lament, but you didn't weep. For John the Baptist did not come eating bread or drinking wine. And you say, he has a demon. You can read that. It's in the book in, uh, in John. It's recorded. Uh, the son of man, verse 34, has come eating and drinking. And you say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by all her children. I just want to suggest to you that, yeah, bring your questions to Jesus, but also consider the expectations that you have for Jesus. Maybe your expectations are keeping you from seeing Jesus for who he is. You know, this section, it's ripe with unmet expectations. You know, that little part about the, uh, the, 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 we played the song and you wouldn't dance, and we played a sad song. That's why I had him play that uh, sad song on, on the way in here. There's something about a sad song, uh, and usually when you hear a sad song, well, sometimes you don't want to go there, right? And you're like, I'm not listening to that. You know, you change, that was a change of channel. Now you just do it on your steering wheel. But we played the pipes for you. We played the flute, and you didn't dance. We played the sad song, and you didn't weep. He's like, this is a tough crowd. What song you want me to play? I can't play a song that makes you guys happy. I can't find anything here that will line up with, with what you want. Maybe your expectations are getting in the way of you seeing Jesus for who he is. Because John the Baptist came, and he wasn't eating bread or drinking wine. And you say, oh, he's got a demon. And here's the son of man, and I'm eating and drinking. And you say, a glutton and a drunkard friend of tax collectors and sinners. 
seems to be the point. I can't make you happy. So there's some expectations that have been going on in this passage. And John the Baptist is wondering. I was expecting God to to forgive sins, but what about taking over the kingdom? Ushering in the new age? Are you the one, or should we expect another? Remember how confident John was at first. In Luke 3, 15 to 17, the people, they were all waiting expectantly, and all of them were debating in their minds whether John the Baptist might be the Messiah. And John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is, one is coming more powerful than I. I'm not worthy to untie the strap of his sandals, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing shovel is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, and the chaff will be burnt up with a fire that never goes out. I don't know, notice this this emphasis that after him, one who is so much mightier than him, someone much more mighty than me is coming. And indeed, that's what Malachi 3 would would lead you to expect. I'm going to read you a quote from a smart guy. In answering the disciples of John, when he said, just tell them what you've seen here. Tell them what you're hearing. He pointed at the facts. The sick and the suffering and the humble and poor were experiencing the power and hearing the word of the good news. Right? That's what he wanted them to go back and, and let, Jesus, or let John the Baptist know. Hey, the poor are hearing the good news. People are getting healed. You go back and deliver, you know, let them know what you're seeing and what you're hearing. But what's seldom realized, this is not the answer that John expected. If Jesus was God's anointed one, John would have expected him to say, my armies are massing. Caesarea, the headquarters of the Roman government, is about to fall. The sinners are being obliterated and judgment has begun. He would have expected Jesus to say, the wrath of God is on the march. But Jesus said, the mercy of God is here. Let us remember that where pain is soothed and sorrow turned to joy, where suffering and death are vanquished, there is the kingdom of God. Jesus' answer was, go back and tell John that the love of God is here. But consider all these unmet expectations Here's John the Baptist, and he's, he's stuck in jail. However big his little room was, and however big the chains were, I don't know exactly. But he knew who he was. And he knew that right, like he baptized the guy. He saw the, the, the dove come and land on, on Jesus, the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist was there ushering this in. Remember he's, how many days he went out marching around all of the, the valley uh, and all the town saying, repent. Turn from your sin. Knowing that there was somebody coming to him. The day of the Lord was, was, was near. 
and he's, he's in this cell. And he's like, well, what's, what's Jesus doing? Give me a report. And they come back and they say, well, you wouldn't believe it. You wouldn't believe all the people that he's healing. In fact, he just, you know, he, they tell the story of what they just saw. And he's like, why am I in a jail? Like, why am I, why am I in here? Did he, like, this doesn't make any sense. A- okay, ask him. Ask him this. Are you the one that we've been waiting for, or, or is there somebody else? And so he's got these unmet expectations. And I just want to suggest that sometimes the expectations that we put on Jesus keep us from seeing him for who he is. Even as believers who were once convinced about who Jesus is. We need to recognize that our confidence can be shaken like John the Baptist. I mean, when you're going through something, that's when, you, that's when I want you to consider asking this question. Is Jesus the one or is there somebody else? Is there someone else? Or is Jesus the one? Sometimes we encounter things and, they, and, it, and, it, and it, it, it shakes us. And our confidence can be shaken. And, and I don't think that's bad. I don't think that we should be uh, looking down on, on John the Baptist. I think that he, from, from what he knew and what he read and what he experienced, like it just did not make sense that he needed to be stuck in a prison. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like... Same is true in our life. Like, it, sometimes things, from our perspective, they just don't make sense. We encounter the sufferings that Jesus has asked us to endure and suffer through. And things don't add up. When it seems like God's kind of, like, forgotten about you. Like, he's taken his eyes off you for a little bit. Because he's doing his thing. Who is this Jesus? Who, who isn't conquering the Romans and setting me free? Who isn't obeying all the rules I've created? We're going to get to that in a moment. Who isn't holding people's sins against them and punishing evildoers? Who isn't meeting my hopes? Who isn't answering my prayers? But look, he's, he's answering their prayers. Who isn't healing my diseases? He, he's healing theirs. The indictment was that this generation is is missing the main thing by insisting on things that contradict each other or focus, they're focusing on only on one aspect of who God is or what he had promised, what he's doing. And so we continue. We're going to continue in Luke 7 at verse 36 where the scene changes. The people in this story, in the narrative uh, are different, but the question is still there. Are you the one we've been waiting for or, or should we expect somebody else? Luke 7, 36 to 50. Then one of the Pharisees, all right, now we're talking about Pharisees, invited him to eat with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman in the town who was a sinner, who was a sinner, found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of fragrant oil and stood behind him at his feet 
weeping and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with the hair of her head, kissing them and anointing them with the fragrant oil. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, this man, if, if he were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is and who is touching him. She's a sinner. So what are this man's ideas about God's righteousness and the Messiah, a prophet of God? Let's just say he was offended. Does that sound familiar? Offended. Internally, he's deciding who Jesus is and who he isn't. And so far, Jesus was not meeting his expectations. Luke 7, verse 40, Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, he said, say it. A creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Since they could not pay it back... Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave both them both. So, which one will love him more? How many people had a debt? Two people had a debt. Both of them. How many people had their debt forgiven? Both of them. Verse 43, Simon answered, I suppose the one he forgave more. You have judged correctly, he told him. And then, turning to the woman, he said to Simon. I like that picture. Turning to the woman, he, turned to si or he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she... With her tears, has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. The kingdom of God that Jesus is announcing is at first, a heart thing. And if you want entrance into the kingdom of God, and if you want any standing there, it's going to be a path of humility and repentance. Being to admit, I was wrong. John had a baptism of repentance, a 
turning away from error, and then, and then washing yourself, baptizing yourself in a river to symbolize, I'm done with that. I'm going a new way. And it talks about there was, there was a forgiveness there. I think it looked forward to Christ's death on the cross, just like all of the faith of the Old Testament believers. Looked forward to the time of cleansing when the precious blood of Christ would flow and cover over their sin and their shame. And the Holy Spirit would renew and regenerate and create a new life. The kingdom of God is first a heart level thing. Every single person that's going to enter into the kingdom of God is going to start at that place of coming to the feet of Jesus and admitting, I can't do it. You know, we have such, in our, in our kingdom, the kingdom that we're, we're creating, we've, we've got so many things that we've stacked up. Of like, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good at this. I'm pretty good at that. I haven't really messed up. And we try, to, we try to be okay. We try to be good enough. But Jesus does level the playing for because he says there's no one righteous. No one. And only he has made a way. And so there's this point of, yeah, you're right. I might not be a big sinner, but it doesn't matter. Because he's calling sinners to repent. Jesus' point is, this person is no longer a sinner. That's what the Pharisee said. Why would you let this person touch you? She's a sinner. And he's like, no, 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 no. You don't get it. Your sins are forgiven. That's what he says to that that girl. Your sins are forgiven. That's not who you are. That's not who she is. That's not who you are. And that's a glorious, glorious treasure. Come to the feet of Jesus. Bring your questions to Jesus. Consider the expectations that you've, you've placed on him. Consider, consider that you've created an impossible scenario for anybody to satisfy. But he's saying, no, the real impossible scenario is not the one that you fabricated in your head through reason, no matter how smart you think you are. The real impossible obstacle is for you to come to me because I am holy. And so he sends his son Jesus to establish a kingdom, a people for himself, all of whom started at the feet of Jesus, recognizing God, my way isn't going to cut it. And I need, I need, your forgiveness. 
I need you to help me be right with you. And he sends his son and his son dies on the cross, setting up his kingdom. So I just want to ask you in closing, I want to ask you this. Is Jesus the one or is there something else? Is Jesus the one for you or is there something else? At that moment of recognition of of your sin and, and where it's led you, is he the one or is there someone else? Or when the pressure's on and you're going through things that you just can't understand why he's walking through you through this thing, is he the one for you or is there somebody else? Let's pray. Will you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we, we thank you, God, for uh, John's question because he was trying to understand, Lord, and he was so passionate about following you and he was so excited, Lord, about your, your kingdom. And he was trying to make it all make sense. And so, Lord, we identify, Lord. We identify with his questions. And, Father, we want to humble ourselves and we want to admit, Lord, we want to admit that your way, we want to agree with you that your way of righteousness is the only way. So, Father, I pray that you would work in, in our hearts, Lord, that you would stir us, Lord, to cling to the hope that we have in your Son, Jesus Christ. That you would give us strength, Lord, to stand up under the, the, the trials, Lord, you walk us through. That you would give us the strength to resist temptation and sin. Instead, that we would submit ourselves to your authority in our life. Your word. In your spirit, I pray for your kingdom, and I pray for your glory. In your name we pray, amen.